Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of At War. Today is the first episode of our Israel and Palestine Symposium and we're very happy to have with us Suri Pajaz, who is the Senior Counsel for the Asia Division at Human Rights Watch. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So today I wanted to talk to you about the spate of reports released by international human rights organizations and organizations from Israel and Palestine um, calling what is happening in this, uh, the situation within Israel and Palestine, calling that apartheid. So I wanted to start off by talking about the Human Rights Watch report about this, which was released in 2021, and which led to another uh, debate of reports released, especially the Amnesty International one in February 2022. Uh, and it's called A Threshold Crossed. So uh, could you just discuss the main findings of this report and uh, also the definition it uses of apartheid? Absolutely. Uh, so as you said, uh, it, the report is titled a threshold cost and part of the the, title, the reason that we have this title was that for years uh, Palestinian groups, uh, Israeli human rights groups, uh, other observers had been saying, uh, even in parts of the international community had been saying that Israel is or Israel's policies uh, in uh, occupied Palestinian territories uh, meant that it was at the brink of apartheid, etc., etc. And Human Rights Watch, building upon, uh, I mean, we've been working for three decades on Israel and Palestine, but building on years of work, we came to the conclusion in 2021 that that threshold mm. of being on the brink right. had been crossed. And it might have been crossed years ago. Mm. I mean, just because part of it is that it had to be very meticulous, very clinical of how one approached it. And the primary finding of the report was that Israel is committing the crimes of apartheid and persecution, both crimes against humanity, in its treatment of uh, all its policies uh, in both Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory. So what the, the basic overview of the findings was, uh, in the area between Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, there are roughly uh, about uh, two racial groups or two groups of people, mm. not even racial groups, uh, about with seven million population each, which is one Jewish Israelis and one uh, Palestinian, uh, which live in Israel is the primary sovereign in that territory. In most parts of that territory, uh, an overwhelming majority of that territory exercises exclusive control. Mm. In some parts of it, it is still the principal governing authority. And that has been the case uh, for the past 75 years, barring yeah. about six months mm. in some parts. And the brand finding was that the Israeli policies create systematically. So uh, uh, in that order, you asked what the definition of apartheid. Apartheid's definition, I think internationally you would find the two primary ones uh, in the two legal instruments is one is the Apartheid Convention as it's called 1973 yeah. and one is the Rome Statute of 1998. And looking at that, Human Rights Watch found that there are three elements of the crime of apartheid. One is an intent or of a racial group to systematically dominate mm. another racial group. The second is a system of uh, 
discrimination and system, systematic domination to take place. The third is the commission of inhumane acts in doing so. Right. Yeah. And we felt that the elements of the crime of both apartheid and persecution, persecution is a crime against humanity as well, which also talks about systematic uh, discrimination, which seeks to deprive uh, or severe deprivation is one of the words uh, that they use or of racial, ethnic, religious, or another group of their fundamental mm -hmm. rights. And we found that the elements of the crime come together in Israel's uh, treatment of Palestinian uh, if, uh, under its control. And how we arrived at that, I think, and again, Human Rights Watch is by no means the, as you mentioned, there's the Amnesty report uh, immediately following that report, uh, but there have been Palestinian and, and even yeah. Jewish groups who've been saying this for years, yeah. who've been documenting yeah. this for years. So part of this is, uh, sort of, it is groundbreaking in some ways, but part of this is just building upon mm. work, great clinical work which have been done already. So one, to simplify it, one yardstick of looking at this is equality of citizenship which simply does not exist. Mm. So, or we can say the intent to uh, dominate. I think the intent has been displayed by Israel over the years, but what we felt, uh, particularly when we did support, uh, was it has become more pronounced uh, in recent years. So in 2018, yeah. the Knesset, uh, the Jewish parliament, the Israeli parliament, uh, sorry, uh, said that the one prime aim of the Israeli state is to become a Jewish nation state. Yeah. We have statements from, you know, from 2005 from Sharon to, uh, to multiple statements of, of Netanyahu which see, say that Israel is, is going to be one ethnicity, one religious mm. uh, group state. Right. So there's enough of that. This was not something that uh, had sort of, you know, great subtlety to it. Mm. They've been yeah. saying that, and they've been saying that for years. Uh, the second is of how that domination is done. And again, both in the occupied territories, which again, there are about uh, nearly 5 million uh, Palestinians, 4.8, uh, the new, new figures could uh, change, uh, living in two parts, West Bank and Gaza. Yeah. Uh, and there is, when you look, even look at the apartheid convention or the, the crime of persecution, what you see is what constitutes, uh, what actions constitute uh, these crimes, which is forcible transfer of land mm. for an occupying power to transfer its population yeah. to the occupied area. Mm. To what Israel is multiple times had, starting from uh, really from the top, from Netanyahu, from Sharon, saying that there's a demographic threat. So to say that there's a, yeah. to, to have control over population registry. And I think part of that is just, and we looked and we tried to be very meticulous and clinical uh, about looking at Israeli policies, so public statements, policies, which mean that there is. Uh, so now things that are uh, relevant now and people, uh, more people know about it, is uh, uh, barriers to freedom of movement, to good, freedom of goods. Mm. Uh, again, when we were doing the support, 
Uh, at that point, uh, one acute example was during the pandemic, uh, where at one point, Israel was being lauded globally for vaccinating 60% at that point, very early on, of right. its population. Mm. And only 3% of the Palestinians were okay. vaccinated. So what that could mean at that point was that in West Bank, you could be living on the same street. Mm. Uh, and a 50-year-old or 55-year-old Palestinian with underlying heart conditions or right, uh, right. health conditions would not mm. get a vaccination, while the 22-year-old or 25-year-old uh, Jewish uh, neighbor yeah. would get it. So right, there's right. very stark, stark, very acute examples of this. Mm. Uh, and how that has happened over the years, and now that has been institutionalized, of course, it is firstly the idea of Palestinians not to have a right to or not have a clear right for many Palestinians to citizenship, mm. uh, to say that, to firstly restrict it for Palestinians who can prove that they were living in this territory, you know, you call this right, mm. that pre-1948, uh, uh, or from 48 to 52, uh, means that essentially the large numbers of Palestinian populations which are treated as stateless people, because mm. who can't prove yeah. Citizenship, or is then the, the right to have rights. Uh, the second is, uh, again, which is, uh, if you look at the crime of persecution and apartheid, uh, is restricting people or forcing people into ghettos or yeah. reservations. And at that, I think we've, we've seen at a, at a large scale in Israel, yeah. and how that is done in, in West Bank, for example, is the government can declare private land, which is in overwhelming number of cases, private land owned by Palestinians mm. as state land, and then give it to third parties, oh, okay. which in overwhelming yeah. um, majority of cases is given to uh, Jewish settlers. Mm. And that kind of, and of course, you would know this better than me, so be, and it has. All of this has to be viewed in the lens of occupation. Yeah. So there is even the Nima exactly. Convention yeah. implications. Uh, and one larger context I think I should mention when we were doing this work was that the widely held assumptions uh, which have deferred uh, coming to conclusions such as these is firstly the, the, the occupation is somehow Temporary and the peace, yeah. there is a peace process. Mm. And a 55, now 56 year old long occupation mm. is not temporary. So the reality of the occupation yeah. has to first be acknowledged uh, for that, for the world to come to these uh, or to pay attention to this. Uh, and the second idea, because it's time, it, I mean, on the apartheid, uh, going back to it. Uh, apartheid, of course, is a term that everybody is familiar with in the in South African context. Uh, but then, from 1973 onwards, it was. It's. Uh, I think the contours, the ambit, and the jurisdiction of what would constitute apartheid uh, and the needle of international law has moved mm. uh, significantly. And I think this is one very acute example of it. And part of it is not restricted to uh, only genealogy or 
uh, it's just because the South African example is a very acute example of yeah. uh, not an acute example, but a very particular example of of, of two groups. Uh, and one that remains so much in the international psyche. Yes, so, but the idea energy, is yeah. the primary principle of apartheid. It's very simple. That's mm. very simple in, in South Africa, and it's very simple in at least what we feel is very clear yeah. in in Israel in OPT. Mm. Uh, so, in terms of, uh, so I was giving the example of land confiscation in East West Bank. Yeah. Uh, and then there's land demo demolition, which is, and, and we've also been doing lateral annexation of East Jerusalem, and which Israel used to uh, claims as part of the Israel sovereign yeah. territory, but international law, those yeah. treaties uh, as an occupation, is to get uh, building permits. Mm. And, you know, until a few years ago, only 1.5% of Palestinian building permits would be approved uh, uh, in parts of, of, of West Bank mm. or East Jerusalem. Uh, what that would mean is that your house would get demolished or you can have... So there are millions of acres right, of land, right? right? Uh, there are millions of acres of land, dunams as they, they're called, mm. but in, in, in uh, our, for our purposes, there's millions of acres of land. Uh, there is about 60% of, of West Bank, which is, again, it's, you know, you can call it area C, etc. But the idea is that there is forced displacement and part of it is to maximize land use. Mm. So there is and force what through an Israeli human rights organization called sort of create these in the islands of, sort of these densely populated ghettoized uh, settlements of of Palestinians mm. and then maximize land use yeah. uh, for the Israeli residents. So in terms of treatment, different treatment of these two set of sets of people, uh, both in terms of civil rights, mm. uh, the right to participate in a democratic process, the right to have citizenship, the right to have freedom of movement, the a freedom family unification. Because yeah. one other part of this is that to maintain control over the population in West Bank and Gaza in a way which completely obstructs uh, a, a population engagement or uh, travel between these two sets to create that kind of a ghettoized settlement. Mm. And in certain cases when that for, um, permission is given, it's, it's very cynical as well. Mm. So it's easier, I mean none of this is easy, but relative terms, it's easier to get permission from travel from Gaza to, uh, to from West Bank to Gaza than the other way around. Because okay. that's the land maximization bit of it. Oh, right. Like that's the annexation. That's the forcible mm. displacement of population. Mm. So you know, and from Gaza to West Bank mm. is what they call the rarest of the rare. It has to be rare, which means better. Uh, and also, uh, I mean, coming to that's the a lot of this land uh, confiscation is is uh, West Bank. It's more prevalent in West Bank, partly because of it's more land. Uh, but and it's one we have to keep in mind is that a lot of these people are refugees or descendants of refugees who were yeah. possibly displaced in 1948, and then uh, 
simply not allowed back. But for Gaza, it is uh, a complete blockade. Yeah. Even yeah. You know, outside of what the world sees as hostilities now in uh, the present crisis, is it's a control of not only freedom of movement, who comes in, who goes out, on goods and services. Mm. On, I give you the example of an OPT example of uh, vaccinations, but to realize that you know, even before any of the outside of hostilities, 80% of the population of Gaza had to rely on humanitarian aid. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, uh, it's a separate thing. It doesn't help that the um, the other neighbor with Egypt does not enough to alleviate mm. this blockage. That's a, a separate thing. Uh, the second is, what you have then is a condition of living conditions, which again, an occupying force has a responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the uh, UN estimate, it might be the WHO uh, from a few years ago. The 96% of water in Gaza is unfit for drinking. Yeah, it's not potable. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, what we were looking for, and we wanted to make that case, mm. both looking at what Israel has said, and I think in, in recent years, uh, the fears have been heightened uh, from the Pakistani context. It, uh, even uh, earlier this year, when the International Court of Justice uh, 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 solicited Amicus briefs or briefs or country submissions, sorry. Uh, on the status of the occupation. Mm. So I also wanted to ask um, and kind of situate this report and uh, the reports that have come out right recently in terms of how apartheid has been discussed before. Uh, so in 2017, there was a UN report by the Commission, uh, the Economic and Social Commission for Western Asia, which was published by among uh, one of the co-authors was Richard Falk. And it was then, and it called what was happening in Israel and Palestine apartheid. And it was then shelled by the UN Secretary General Guterres to his lasting shame <laughs> at the behest of the US and Israel. So since then, we've had a number of UN special rapporteurs on the situation in Palestine, including Michael Link. And then, as you said, we have the Human Rights Watch and the Amnesty International, as well as a number of other great human rights organizations in Israel and Palestine calling it apartheid. So where do you think that that shift happened? I think uh, part of it, part of the reason for the shift, and I, I do still think that it's, uh, why there's reason for cautious optimism, the shift is strong moving, but part of the reason why the shift happened was because it's just unmistakable now, mm. it's undeniable. Part of it is the intent to uh, maintain systematic domination, the intent to methodically privilege one set yeah. of people living in that territory to another, has been said so clearly, so mm. unambiguously, uh, that it's becoming very, very difficult to deny this. Yeah. And as I said, part of really the, the, the credit to Israeli and Palestinian human rights mm. groups who have to do this and who have to navigate that space with, amongst other things, a crackdown on 
and human rights yeah. by yeah. Israeli authorities. Because actually there was uh, there was one individual, and I can't remember his name exactly, but he said, oh, it's probably worse than what you had in South Africa. Because South Africa didn't criminalize what uh, civil society organizations were doing in the same way that Israel does. Right. Uh, so, I mean, again, to compare historic horrors is a uh, yeah. or uh, injustices is a, is a fraught thing. But there is one thing which is clear, mm. that the level of repression is intensifying. Yeah. Uh, be it from Israeli cabinet members uh, saying that there is there are no Palestinian people. Right. Uh, right. Be it Netanyahu himself uh, saying it repeatedly, and then the Israeli authorities saying repeatedly, the land between the Jordan River and the Mechin Sea. Mm belongs exclusively to the Jewish people. Yeah. So I think it is part of it is that it is now almost impossible to keep this under wraps. Yeah, and I wonder is, as yeah. well whether it was because of the basic law being passed in 2018 um, that led to a kind of tipping point or the threshold being crossed. But also, um, it's interesting because I was then reading articles about the counter. You've been, uh, Human Rights Watch has been criticized from both the left and the right. right. Um, the right has said it's anti-Semitic right. um, to call it an apartheid state exceptionalism again the same things that south africa alleged back in, back when it was accused of apartheid and also the fact that um they often cite the fact that you have israeli arabs who are part of the knesset who are politicians and they cite that as evidence that there is no discrimination so what is the counter to to uh, something like that okay uh part of it is again uh at best what they're saying is that Israel functions as a democracy uh, for a few of its people yeah. and does not function as a democracy for more than 4.8 million people mm. who live in the OPT. So if it were uh, uh, functions uh, as a democracy for 1.9 million Palestinians uh, living in Israel. Mm. Uh, but even that taken on face value would not negate this argument or our findings, but that even that is not correct. Because while theoretically they can vote, they could theoretically even stand for elections, the barriers to both citizenship and nationality, and the mm. bifurcation of citizenship and nationality, uh, of and particularly if you look at the law of return and how it is, right. uh, yeah. the how it again, it's not about immigration policies, mm. which the, the states have great latitude in how they can come up with, but states who deal differently with people who are living in those uh, areas and historically been living in those. Uh, I think there is a very clear argument mm. that even Palestinians who live in, in Israel as opposed to the OPT, uh, while it could be said at best that they are less marginalized, again, I, we don't want to say that is, as well. First, they certainly are second. There is the tier of citizenship. Yeah. And that tier of citizenship now, I think, again, to repeat myself, that comes from Jewish authorities, uh, Israeli authorities themselves, mm. to say that there is, this is a Jewish state, this is a Jewish nation state. Yeah. The yeah. land between uh, the Mediterranean River, uh, Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River belongs exclusively mm. uh, to uh, the Israeli uh, or Jewish people. Uh, even the people who live in Israel, uh, for them, so there's a 
there are freezes on family reunion application mm-hmm. uh it's uh, the on the settlers and even within sort of what's it called mixed cities haifa negev uh what you have is for example in negev uh the failure to recognize bedouin communities okay uh thousands mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people living there decades and once you don't recognize that what what does it mean to not recognize a people as mm. citizens yeah is you mean sort of you know to have a right to right right to have, right to have rights mm. and so there is i think that criticism and again um i don't want to go into uh, saying that any of this is anti-semitic because uh because it's not a good faith argument yeah i agree and and it's something just to deflect yeah. any kind of criticism now to go to move on to the criticism that yeah. human rights watch has faced with this report from the left um that has largely um been about where it's arguing the apartheid exists as a regime and apartheid exists as a crime um so really human rights watch has said that the regime exists in israel but the crime exists in the occupied palestinian territories and also where is i mean the the constant complaint mostly from people who aren't looking at uh October 7th as the starting point where the cops started in terms of this crisis is that where is the starting point then and i think that this report kind of takes the starting point to be 1967 in a way when it refers to the occupied palestinian territories but why can't it be earlier than that 1948 yeah okay uh on the first bit uh there is a term that people use if you want us to use which is called the apartheid state mm. uh there is no definition of i mean to look at international you're an expert on that yeah so it's very difficult to argue that the state is an apartheid state the states cr- commit the crime of israel sure, is yeah. and again i didn't i, want I think it's the- I think it's there are so many things that I'm like okay the legal definition of this is different I mean, genocide is yeah. often thrown around politically yeah. but legally it's right I mean and again I think what the value again might people might see a value in in calling a state in a way that said what we're saying and we're saying very clearly or yeah. saying very unambiguously that Israeli authorities are committing crimes against humanity mm. crimes of apartheid and persecution because part of this is part of what Yunus was does is to apply the law to the facts yeah uh and applying the law in this case i mean abolish laws uh but to primary laws the apartheid convention of 1973 yeah, I, I, I it is you come to the conclusion that the israeli authorities are committing the crimes of apartheid mm. and persecution and again part of it the second question was what the starting point of this uh again it is the situation as it stands now is the situation where crimes against humanity are being committed and of course you have to look at what you have to look at uh you talk about nakba you talk about people who as i said a large part of these the populations in occupied western territories are refugees or descendants of refugees who were displaced uh forcibly displaced mm. uh and have not been allowed to return yeah uh it's exacerbated by uh the comparison is is becomes more acute more aggravated if you look at the 
law of the return. Yeah. For, so they all those. It's uh, where you start at a point of history. Again, United was certainly does not mean say that you start at a point in history. You do think it is why it is that sixty-seven point is that often the world uses the point that the occupation is somehow a temporary thing mm. to not realize the reality. So that's when we talk about you know, the 56 year yeah. occupation. It is for the international community to realize uh, that the occupation is not te te temporary. Israel is an occupying mm. power. And it should be bound by the principles both of international human rights law but of international humanitarian law. Mm. Again, is it to look at, look at the four Geneva Convention uh, that it has because to treat the occupation as temporary has resulted in that. So that's when you talk about what has happened since 67, the occupation. And again, you talk about the unilateral annexation of East Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's not, and again, it's the, what Human Rights Watch has to do, and what I said in the beginning, is to try and be as clinical mm. and as meticulous in reaching yeah. the conclusion that we have. And it took us years to reach these conclusions mm. in the framework where we feel and confident, and now we do, that this can be defended on a, any legal standpoint, any legal touchstone. Yeah. And I think that is where your earlier comment, I think it's very important of looking at how the global consensus is shifting. And part of making this case is to make it clinical, to make it watertight, to not come to uh, things that can't be backed by evidence, because what can be backed by evidence is so egregious, yeah. is so clear, is so undeniable, it mm. stares us in the face, uh, and the international community has to act. Yeah, and I think um, moving on to the question of the international community, but, but just about the apartheid state, um, I am very much a stickler for language, yes. especially when it comes to international, especially when it comes to the laws of war, because so many of the yeah. terms used are very legal, but they also used in mainstream conversations. What is a civilian is heavily legal. What is a civilian, what is not? But yet civilian is used as an everyday word. Yet when it came to reading that part of the report where they were like, we understand that Israel practices apartheid, but we do not call it an apartheid state, that is a political term. For me, that's a distinction without a difference. And a, a state which practices apartheid is an apartheid state. I don't think, I, I think perhaps also that was an olive branch in some way to Israel to be like, we're not calling you an apartheid state, we're just saying that you practice it. I mean, um, if there was no, I, mean I don't think Israel has taken anything from you as much as an olive branch or Israel Palestine that I've been deported. But again, I think, I agree, I, I, in the sense that I see your point about uh, uh, semantic rigor or semantic precision. Yeah. And I think what we're trying to uh, achieve or avoid mm. is given uh, this mounting body of evidence mm. of, of crimes against humanity to get into a conversation which is, as you 
you, uh, it could be a distinction that has merit or distinction that does not merit. I don't want to go into that, but it is very clear that there is an Israeli uh, government, not one government, it's subsequent state yeah, policy. And getting worse. The state yeah. policy is to commit the crimes of apartheid and persecution. And if that means the state is an apartheid state, because there, what we were trying to avoid is there isn't an acceptable definition mm. of uh, what what an apartheid state is. There mm. are it's easily demonstrable I what understand. what yeah. apartheid is, yeah. what crimes against humanity are, mm. what is the crime of persecution. So even in that sense, to be uh, meticulous but, um, to say that this is settled law mm. we're applying settled law to demonstrable facts yeah and if you do that these conclusions are the only conclusions that we would reach it's so um in terms of the international community and its reaction to this, one thing I found very, very interesting in the report was the fact that it holds the Palestinian Authority to be complicit in the apartheid regime. And this is something then echoed by the Amnesty International report, which also says um, that the Palestinian Authority contributes to this. It's very interesting reading this because the entire... We believe that an occupation has existed since 1967. Yeah arguably since 1948, but definitely since 1967. Um, and the fact that the disengagement that happened in 2005 was not an end to the occupation. It was occupation by remote control, and it was also burden-free occupation because it was almost contracted out to the Palestinian Authority. Right. So the fact that you have these international human rights organizations also corroborating that, by saying that the Palestinian Authority has been complicit, it has contributed right. uh, to this apartheid regime. I thought that was very interesting right. um, in acknowledging uh, the fact that the Palestinian Authority, the way the Palestinians feel about that entity and the way Israel uses that entity is such a muddying factor in all of this. Absolutely. And again, uh, is in no way there's any equivalence being created, but to re recognize yeah. uh, that there are there are contributing facts. For example, when we document our work on Israel and Palestine, uh, there is any uh, uh, human rights violations which in the occupied Palestinian territory, which in certain cases can come from Palestinian authorities themselves. Right. Uh, and you're right. Uh, post two thousand five. Uh, the occupation is not over post-2005. It's not. And, and there is that, yeah. uh, that's, that's the position that we hold. Yeah. It's a, and, and even if you look at those statements from, from Sharon, uh, from, that, from that point, and even Netanyahu in that cabinet and subsequently. But part of why we have to acknowledge uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority or any other actors is, again, uh, to firstly, that's a responsibility that Human Rights Watch has to, that is part of our, not only a mandate, but an obligation uh, to recognize. Uh, and in this case, I think this is an important factor. This is, again, to repeat myself, the idea is not to create an equivalence. And we try and make very clear mm. 
that there is, uh, yeah. but there is a, the, a role. Uh, and that needs to be highlighted, that needs to be highlighted for, uh, for reasons of transparency, for reasons mm. of staying true to facts. Yeah. Uh, and we find those, even those facts, as you say, uh, build into the narrative. It is mm. not, it, it's still, it, it parts, forms part of a, of a coherent story in that sense. And moving on to the international community reaction, because um, I, w- I was reading an article about these reports and they were saying this, these reports are for the ICC prosecutor. Um, and coming in light of the fact that we have an ongoing investigation and one of the things I keep on saying about accountability in this situation is that it is one of the very, very rare ones where we have an ICC jurisdiction over it. We have an ongoing ICC investigation. And not only that, we have the Commission of Inquiry uh, having requested the General Assembly to ask for an advisory opinion from the International Court of Justice on these select points, including the legality of the occupation, the annexation, and discriminatory treatment, which was, to me, a kind of neon highlighting sign saying, say it is apartheid. Um, What do you think is going to happen in the advisory opinion, and how do you think that this will contribute to the ICC prosecutor's investigation in this case? He keeps on referring to war crimes, and yet then he refers to the fact that it's crimes committed under the ICC statute, which wouldn't necessarily include crimes against humanity. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I think that's a, it's a very important dimension of it. And from, I think, February or March 2021, uh, because for you, there's, there's clearly jurisdiction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. has uh, ratified both the apartheid convention and the Rome statute. Uh, yeah. So there is a, a, a jurisdiction uh, and I think part of this is this mounting evidence, which we feel, uh, and Human Rights Watch has been calling, and so have been other, other groups, uh, both local uh, Israeli-Palestinian groups and international groups, calling for the prosecutor uh, to act. And there is a sense that maybe greater urgency, mm. robustness yeah. uh, should be displayed on, on the matter. I mean, massively. Yes. I mean, that, yeah. that is, and there yeah, is, I mean, if you look at, and it, again, in recent uh, times, panels have been drawn, statements have been made on uh, how the response has been different to other uh, yes. yeah. So there, there is that. Uh, in terms of the ICJ, in December 2022, when the ICJ uh, solicited uh, submissions uh, on the occupation, uh, governments to file submissions, Park mm-hmm. found it as well. Uh, Pakistan filed a submission before the ICJ as well. Yeah, we did, yeah. I think part of it is uh, what I, th- I think uh, a lot of this, I mean, Pakistan has been uh, as, as the historic position on this, but to also take that position in the clinical legal sense, mm. uh, they're important, I mean, there's the, the, the political part of it, but Gunez Watts uh, in at essence is an international law organization, mm. even I call it, to um, to raise these points to of apartheid, of crimes against uh, humanity, uh, persecution, and also the, the peace process. The, the occupation is not temporary. Israel yeah. is obligated uh, while it is an occupying power. So because there is, a, as yeah. I said, we don't... Uh, if the on. occupation is temporary, it should be temporary. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. it is, it, I mean, but the yeah. occupation cannot be treated as temporary now. It is a 56-year-long occupation. Yeah. 
it comes with a set of responsibilities. So again, we don't take a position on what yeah. uh, political positions countries take on the issue uh, that's beyond a mandate and our expertise. But what we do uh, want and wish is that uh, this, and we hope that the ICJ advisory opinions, yeah. and there's now a long list of those. Uh, so there is, again, I'd say cautiously optimistically, uh, but the needle on the global consensus mm. is moving. Yeah. Even if it's moving uh, or not moving as fast as uh, we would want, but there is certainly a change. And part of it is, again, part of it is advocacy by, by human rights groups, by Palestinian Israeli groups, and part of it is just the scale and magnitude of the policy of methodically privileging one group of people mm. living in the same territory over another. And after a certain point, it becomes indefensible. We feel it's indefensible yeah. legally, but then it becomes indefensible politically. Mm. And I think we, uh, we're going towards that, where there is, uh, we hope that there will be greater uh, Pressure. Firstly, the first step is greater recognition and acknowledgement of the situation in Israel and, and the occupied Palestinian territory in the Penitentiary between uh, Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, where to recognize Israel uh, as the primary sovereign mm. deliberately pursues policies which discriminate against, which marginalize, which oppress mm. uh, one group people uh, to benefit and privilege another group of people. And yeah. I think that acknowledgement is the, is the first and very important step. Uh, again, I said on the ICC prosecutor, I, uh, they, they see, uh, ICC prosecutors ceased with the matter, so it's a legitimate expectation mm -hmm. that uh, it would be acted upon with the urgency, uh, seriousness. Yeah. Uh, and robustness that uh, these findings demand. Yeah, yeah, and we will wait and see what happens with that. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, it was, it yeah. was great. I, uh, I was, uh, I'm del I was delighted to be here. <laughs> and thank you so much for watching at home and we hope you'll tune in for future episodes in this symposium.